9.6 going into five. the Minnesota game. Five. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> I am an engineer, which means I'm not good at math. You're the reason we started at zero. That's why we have these problems, because yeah. we start counting at zero, and this is our, yeah, it's our fifth game we've talked about afterward. I, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got an array. You want the first thing in the array. You got to ask for number zero. I'm sorry. That's just the way of the world, Seth. Anyway, Minnesota is up next. The Brown Jug game. This is an away game for the second straight week against a team that, <clears throat> well, I don't really know what to make of. Like, nope. they're not very good. We can we can say that. But their first week against Nebraska in a game that I think everybody watched because it was the only one on at that point, they looked like they had completely lost their identity as a football team, particularly on offense, right? They uh, rush for 55 yeah. yards in the game. <laughs> yeah, they, they just start like throwing the ball with, you know, Kaliak Manis the whole time. And I my take on that, having watched Minnesota the rest of the season now, um, is that they are – you remember they – they were very RPO under Kirk Shiraqua, right? And then they went and got uh, Harbo, which is PJ Flex guy from Western Michigan. They got him back together. So I think that, like, both of them are very active to the defense. So if the defense is going to be putting a bunch of guys on the line of scrimmage or coming down in press, they're going to throw <clears> the ball deep. And if you're, you know, it's they're, they're going to run the ball every time you sit back. Well, I think the, the issue there was more the fact that they couldn't run the ball. So they had 21 rushing attempts in that game. And I looked up this up on game on paper. Five of those had positive expected points. So when you're getting positive expected points on a quarter of your runs, you can't run the ball. Yeah. But after that game, they insert Darius Taylor, who's a freshman from Michigan and Taylor goes off on EMU they run 76% of the time. And then from there, they've looked more or less looked like a Nebraska, not a Nebraska, a Minnesota offense, mm-hmm. right? So they, they put up 50 rushes in a lot of games. They put up 200 yards. And they were even able to do it against Louisiana Lafayette without Taylor last week. So it kind of feels like week one was actually a validation of the Nebraska run defense in some, some right. capacity. <laughs> which is good for Michigan since they just played Nebraska. And this is still more or less the Minnesota of old on offense with the exception of like, I, I'm just not buying into Cali McManus. <laughs> yeah, Alex? Neither, neither is Alex. Yeah. Right? Uh, I wouldn't buy into him either. I mean, I think he's been pretty, pretty bad this season. Um, the biggest problem for him is right now he's just not accurate enough. He's throwing a ton of marginal passes where it, is way harder for the receiver than it needs to be. Obviously, we remember the touchdown catch by Daniel Jackson against Nebraska, but there was also one I clipped of their slot, Corey Crooms, against Northwestern. Similar story. He's wide open, and he makes this sprawling catch out of bounds because the pass is way too high and way too far from him, and he he makes it. But there's just a lot of balls like that, and there's another one I clipped where it's third and ten, he fires to Jackson short of the sticks, but if it's an accurate pass, Jackson turns up field and gets the first down. Instead, he has to catch it and fall out of bounds short of the first down because it's just not an accurate ball. And that's kind of the issue right now. When he throws down the field, they're not where they need to be. And as a result, he's not throwing down the field all that much. And as a whole, his completion percentage is pretty low. And so I distilled down his stats against 
uh, the Power 5 teams they've played. They've played three of those games, and it's worse than Gavin Wimsat numbers at the moment. I mean, it's, you know, barely five <laughs> yards an attempt, barely over 50% completion, and he's thrown an interception in four or five games he's played this season. And he's not reading the defense all that well, and because he's a dual-threat guy, he's one of those quarterbacks that if the first read isn't open, then... I'm just going to tuck it and, and and run for it, which isn't the worst decision because of how inaccurate he is and all that. But at the same time, I think it does inhibit his ability to progress as a passer as well. And he's a guy like if you get him off platform, it's pretty much over. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was <clears throat> one of the interceptions was against UNC and it's just this little dink to span forward, but he has to move up in the pocket to get it off. And it's, behind and over the head of span ford who's six foot seven so it's hard to miss that guy five <laughs> yards downfield and span ford deflects it up because that he can only get like a finger on it and he gets picked off so i mean in terms of <clears throat> talent I, I mean i think they actually have some talent at the skill positions like i like daniel jackson span ford is not having a good year but he's a veteran established big 10 tight end who was good last year and you know taylor i think is is the real deal so What's holding them back? Well, I don't think their offensive line is where it was last year, and I think they've got a big drop-off at quarterback. Yeah, the offensive line, I think, is a big story for them because they're used to having a line that is not Michigan caliber, obviously, but it's generally a pretty good line that can push teams around and open up holes, and I just haven't seen a ton of that, honestly, in, in what I've reviewed. Even that Northwestern game, they run for a ton of yards, but on a down-to-down -down basis, they weren't getting a ton of push in that game and the, the big runs they had were largely Darius Taylor and that was the reason I made him the danger man in that game they rip off two 40-ish yard runs and one 20-yard run and if you remove those three from the 42 carry sample of the game their yards per carry drops to three and a half and Taylor really made a couple of those big runs himself one of those was a touchdown run 40-yarder it's fourth and one, and he's contacted behind the line of scrimmage. And he breaks the tackle and cuts outside, and obviously it's fourth and one uh, with the game sort of on the line. And as a result, he's able to, to run for a touchdown because there's no safety deep. But that's sort of the story here. I think Taylor's really, really good. I think he brings um, an element that none of the other running backs have. And if he's not able to go, I just don't really see – how this is happening for Minnesota because this offensive line is not getting enough push against Nebraska and Northwestern. You know, what's it going to do against Michigan? Probably nothing. And Taylor missed last week. He was hurt late in the Northwestern game. And <clears throat> this could go one of two ways for Flex. Flex, like it's a home game against Michigan. We got to put this guy on the field, see what he can do. Or it's a home game against Michigan. I'm not going to risk my best player if he's not 100% because we're not going to win this game. And we could win against Iowa or Minnesota or Wisconsin or whoever. So, I mean, there hasn't Taylor's been avail any any. There hasn't been a, like a peep that he's going to play. I think that just no. Uh, I mean, they just haven't said Flex, he's not going to because they're not going to say that. Yeah, Flex one of those guys that I think is just really guarded about that sort of thing. So we're not going to know till that injury report comes out two hours before the game. I mean, you mean he's a football coach? <laughs> I mean, even <laughs> even then. They could list him as questionable. Yep. Yeah. And he could he could give it the old Blake Corum against Ohio State yeah. try to yeah. try to go say that like I'm not hundred percent and then kind of pack it in. And at that point, <clears throat> I mean, 
one thing I think Kaliak Manis does have over a guy like Harburg is if he's able to sit in a clean pocket, he can complete passes 10, 15, even 20 yards downfield. Like he is not complete uh, waste of space. That's not really what I wanted to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry we do this live. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he has this, he has some ability if he, you keep him clean, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that given this stuff we've seen with Michigan secondary, there is some possibility that guys are out of position. They're still rusty. They're not playing up to their ability and they're able to cobble together some drives that go somewhere. Um, But then the other thing that Michigan has been exceptional at this year is not letting teams finish drives. So they're so good at that, that it's probably an anomaly. Oh yeah. They're, there's only one conversion on fourth down in 13 attempts this year, and Michigan yeah. has a interception return for a touchdown on fourth down as well. So we've scored as many times as they've converted on fourth downs, and that just doesn't happen. But I, I think that's something that is inherent to this Michigan defense, right? You've got Chris Jenkins, you have Braden McGregor, you should have Mason Graham back for this game, you have Kenneth Grant. This should be one of the country's best short yardage defenses. And so... <clears throat> When you're trying to drive the field without big explosives, which is likely what Minnesota will have to do, at some point you're going to be in in fourth and one or fourth and two in that kind of no man's land around the 40 or 30th, and then you're in trouble Mm -hmm. because that's not a 70 to 80% or 90% conversion rate. It's closer to 50. So this does feel like another offense that might be able to pick up some plays like Nebraska was last week, but then finishing those drives is going to be a tall order. Yeah. I mean, can I say something about Fleck for a second here? Because I mean, if it's, is it family friendly? Yeah. no. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the Minnesota football program. So that's on topic, Alex. The, uh, I think that also just on that topic, I, the way they blew that Northwestern game was baffling to me. And I kind of think Fleck is a scaredy cat. And I don't know if he's going to be aggressive on fourth and ones and fourth and twos against Michigan. Like, I want to see him do that. And But they punted in that game up seven with two minutes to go or whatever. They had third and one, and they get stuffed at, like, the Northwestern 33 or something like that. And they punted. Northwestern had no timeouts. They needed one yard to win the game on fourth and one. And they punted from well inside Northwestern territory. And I just co- couldn't. Zone. Yeah. And do you remember <laughs> how it went in the end zone? No, I do not. There was a gunner down there and the gunner forgot the rules and stood in the end zone as the punt rolled into the end zone and then was like, "Uh oh, that was not the right thing. <laughs> Wait, that's the NFL. As long You can be in the end zone as long as the ball. No, he was like five yards deep in the end zone and he just what? let it roll in. Yes, you can look this play up and it. And the other guys on the team were like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) it was unbelievable. But regardless of that special teams fiasco, you just can't punt in that situation. You're Minnesota. You're supposed to be a running team, have this identity. And I just don't think Fleck is aggressive enough. And I don't know what his approach will be against Michigan. But that's something that stood out. I I think if you want to, like, explain what's going on with Minnesota, the best thing you can say is – they had Chuck Filianga last year, and we all remember what that guy was, right? He was just a bulldozer. Yeah. He was all right in pass protection, but he was he would move people. So if it was fourth they and had, one, you run they, behind Filianga. 
Did they have Falele last year too? Or yeah, that... yeah, I think they had yeah. him. Although their left tackle, Ursary, uh, is not terrible, and the other tackle okay. they have is like a Notre Dame guy who cannot pass protect. But he's not four hundred pounds. Like that's, I mean, right. Minnesota. <laughs> should, should... <clears throat> like yeah. they, their their niche is okay. We want the heaviest offensive lineman in the country. We don't care if they can pass protect because all we do is RPO. Right. And it kind of feels like they don't have that road grader or four road graders that they need. I mean, they had um, a guy who <clears throat> was, I think, pro football focus is like number two center in the country last year. Yeah. And a guy who was a high NFL draft pick. And it doesn't look like there's anybody like that on this line. No. I mean, they've got... Yeah. Uh, it, it hasn't just fallen, like especially Filiango's spot at right guard. It went from the perfect guy from Minnesota to the like a, someone who can't play to the point where they're moving him out all the time. So they haven't really decided on a left guard or on a right guard, and they kind of moved the left guard over again. But they're playing this guy Martez Lewis, who came in as a tackle. He's six foot seven or six foot eight, and he just he does not move people the way you want them to. And that's the guy that Nebraska was just terrorizing. And you talk about Kalik Manis, he gets off his... Uh, remember that game, every single time Nebraska got in the secondary, into the backfield, it was coming up the middle. And when you looked at the tape, it was either coming from the center, Nathan Bowe, or this guy, Martez Lewis, who just cannot protect anybody. And like when you have your guard, and the way that Minnesota wants to play offense, and he can't block anybody in the run or block anybody in the pass, like, that's it. All right, so I think we're projecting an offensive output similar to the Nebraska game here, sounds like it. I would yeah, say I think that's reasonable. I would say right. Rutgers game because, first of all, they have, they're still running the same They're the offense. same thing. No, they're, the same they're not. Thing. They're not. There's a key difference here. It's a key difference. Do you remember in the Rutgers game, we were getting kind of annoyed that they were throwing those passes underneath the zone coverage? I think we're going to see that again. I think that Michigan doesn't want to like match up Josh Wallace on Daniel Jackson one on one right now because the only way that can really hurt you is if they get like a forty yard pass. So we're gonna play sure. soft zones and give Kaliak Manis a couple nice things underneath, and maybe we'll try to jump one or two of them. But they're not gonna want to give Daniel Jackson, who's like the one guy on that offense who can hurt you, a chance to get you deep. All right, we're gonna take a break. Come back, talk about the other side of the ball. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach, and it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform 
and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss, and honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog today. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.5. We'd like to thank our sponsors. We'd like to thank Underground Printing for starting this and making it all possible. Stop by and pick up some gear. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lendor, Human Element, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Denny by 4M, Winewood Organics, Signal Wire, where we're recording this, and introducing to the podcast, Sharon's Heating. All right, the Minnesota defense has also taken a step back. Last year, they were a pretty salty group. Um, and while <clears throat> I am a little bit suspicious of SP plus ratings of Big Ten West defenses, because they all get to play Big Ten West <laughs> offenses. <laughs> right. Uh, that's, that's usually were, later in the season. By the time like everyone's gotten an Iowa through their system, it's just like, woo! <laughs> well, by the end of 2022, SP Plus rated the Minnesota defense as number five unit in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to emphasize that Iowa was number one, Illinois was number two, <laughs> Wisconsin was number 15. <laughs> and I think, I think the most indicative... Yeah number that says Big Ten West SP plus defense ratings are a little bit inflated is Nebraska was 61. Mm. That Nebraska defense was average-ish according to SP plus because they got to play. So I don't think it was the number five defense in the country. I do think you could make it a case that it was top 10, top 15, top 20, somewhere in that range. And I looked this up on Pro Football Focus. Last year, their top seven players all got buckets of snaps, and they all graded out as a 76 or plus to pro football focus. This year, they have three guys in that bin, and there's and the drop-off uh, past um, number three is pretty severe. So it goes from a 78 to a 72 and then down to a 70. So, And that's after playing two tomato cans and Northwestern, mm-hmm. who they gave up 37 points to. So it really feels like this... Minnesota defense is a far cry from what they were last year. They do have a couple of nice pieces in the secondary, but not a whole lot else. Yeah, the biggest thing is they're just lacking 
impact players, right? They're lacking players that you look at and think this guy's an all Big Ten player. It's not like they have a ton of black holes in the lineup. It's just a lot of players that are okay. And as a whole, it hasn't come together to be super effective at this point in time. They were doing a pretty good job against Northwestern, and then it all just kind of fell apart in the back third of that game. And for me, when you look at that Northwestern game, the pass defense is really the story there. And a big part of it is the pressure. And when I look at this defensive line, they don't really have any organic pass rushers that I'm really scared of at this point in time. Mm -hmm. They blitzed a decent bit against Northwestern, but uh, you know, that in terms of the defensive line itself, there wasn't a lot going on there. They have one guy, Ja Joyner, who's a, a guy they bring off the bench, but he's, just a limited pass rush type guy, not uh, a player you can play for three downs. And otherwise, if they were rushing four against uh, Northwestern, they weren't getting home all that much. And the kind of images of that collapse is Ben Bryant standing around, standing around, standing around, finding a spot and uh, delivering down the field and being able to, to move the ball. So that's the first area of concern, I think. And then secondly, their coverages are okay, but they're not suffocating enough and the DBs aren't good enough on the whole to stop a quarterback who's in a rhythm from dissecting them when he's not being impacted at all in the backfield and there's no pressure to speed him up. Yeah. And going back to the Brian thing, he's, he threw for almost 400 yards in that game and he is averaging 4.3 yards in attempt in all other games that aren't against UTEP. Yeah. (laughs) 4.3. Four. I mean, if you watched that Northwestern Penn State game, he had zero time to throw. And obviously Penn State's a really good defense, all that stuff. But Northwestern's de- uh, offensive line got destroyed in that game. And that was, you know, the same offensive line that was, you know, giving him quite a bit of time against standard rushes in Minnesota. So I think that just speaks to the Minnesota defensive front's lack of anything that really scares you in the pass rushing game. Yeah, the, the one guy yeah. I think on this team who can pass rush at all is their weak side linebacker, Devin Williams, who they'll bring down yeah, he's, sometimes. He's a good blitzer, too, yeah. yeah. But the problem is if you blitz him, it's they it, you just throw wherever he used to be because they don't have – the, the other linebackers can't cover that well. They like to kind of confuse you. They're very 20-teens kind of defense where they, they want to throw out hybrids. And, you know, Jack Henderson might come down and be a Sam one play or he might, you know, be the free safety another play, right? And, like, they, they're trying to like, – show you different looks and then back into a different look. But if you end up actually like getting a blocker on that guy, he's 215 pounds. If you actually put that guy against Rowan Wilson, he's going to get shot by. And like the, the hybridization works against them when, as soon as you figure out what they're doing and you hit them with the thing that they're not quite good enough to do. Yeah. And they faced an NFL quarterback in Drake May for North Carolina. And Mm -hmm. he lit this pass defense on fire like 75% completion, 400-plus yards and almost 10 yards in attempt. I mean, it was brutal. And I'm not sure if J.J. McCarthy, you know, where he ranks next to Drake May. Obviously, both are really good players, but they're in the same, you know, they're both in discussion for the first round of the draft. So that's something I think is worth keeping in mind here. Yeah. um, Henderson, by the way, is one of the two guys that Pro Football Focus really likes. The other one is safety Tyler Newbin, who was also very good last year. 
I mean, yeah. the problem with Newbin is that he's been targeted five times this year. He's free <laughs> safety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I so. mean, they, he's a great tackler, and he, he gets a lot of interceptions off deflections, which is kind of a weird thing to have. I also remember, like, Ohio State really tried to go after him. That was like a, the, the scuttle on the, on the Minnesota boards over the offseason. We were looking these guys up for Halo Victors. Is that, like, Ohio State recruited Tyler Newbin to try to, like, you know, fix their secondary, and he stuck around. And, like, he also probably could have gone to the NFL because he had some great interception stats. He's a little bit of a linebacker-ish guy for, you know, to be playing free safety. But really, like, as long as you stay away from him, and I don't throw to anybody who he's on top of, even if, like, there's another guy there too, just you're fine. Yeah, I mean, if you stare down a receiver, he will jump the route, but... Well, this is J.J. McCarthy. Hopefully he's not going to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and their cornerbacks are, are just guys. I mean, yeah. They... Trevon Jones, the transfer from Elon, I think hasn't fit in that well thus far. So that's a guy you, you could look at. Also, if Newbin or the other safety ever leave the field and that Aiden Gowsby dude comes on, he got cooked by North Carolina in like 20 snaps. So that's something to, to watch. One other thought on this secondary too. This is a really poor tackling team. I mean, Newbin's a really good tackler, but a lot of these guys are are not that good at tacklers. So that could make problems go from bad to worse because the images for me in my head of that meltdown against Northwestern is Bryant standing in there having all day to throw, throwing to a guy decently open 10, 15 yards downfield, and then one or two missed tackles, and he picks up 10 extra yards. I mean, the game swung against Northwestern because of our old friend A.J. Henning. Not the touchdown to tie it two plays before. There's 20 seconds left in the game. Northwestern has no timeouts. They need to get a first down to stop the clock under two minutes. They check it down to A.J. Henning, and he's only five yards downfield on a you know first and 10, second and 10, something like that. You know Minnesota obviously is saying use the middle of the field. They have two or three guys between Henning and the sticks. All they got to do is tackle them, and maybe Northwestern has one shot at the end zone. And these three guys blow the tackle. And A.J. Henning wiggles by them, gets the first down. They run up and spike it. Now they have two plays to tie the game. So, I, Yeah, I think one of those guys is Darius Green, the other safety. Um, and I think yep. this goes back to why they can't really use Tyler Newbin the, want, the way they want to, because if Green's the deep safety – he's not making the tackle and you know, you need somebody back there who's just going to like give you a place to stand. And because green's been missing that basically they have to find a way to roll Tyler Newbin deep or trick you into throwing short uh, because he and Henderson, and I know that he's grading out well in pro football focus, but I, I don't know. I think their, their, their hybrids always seem to grade out really well. Uh, and he just not strike me as a guy that like, if he gets stuck with Roman Wilson, it's over. Well, yeah, but that's going to, I mean... But okay. they're putting him at that's... high safety. So, like, there's you, you can get that matchup but sometimes. They're going to they're gonna bracket him, right? So, but yeah. to your point, Alex, um, starting linebacker Maverick Baranowski, 23 tackles, 10 missed tackles. That's an incredible ratio. Yeah. That's not... That's yeah. pretty <laughs> there's, bad. And then... There's one clip I put in there where he, against North Nebraska, he meets a running back at the line of scrimmage. And the running back, I think it was the guy who got injured, I think it was Irvin, but just runs over him just trucks him and keeps running for 25 yards. So we could see Kalel Mullings <laughs> reprise that <laughs> one. Kalel Mullings just needs to step through at the ankle tackle. This is the result <laughs> of trucking a guy. He'll learn to do that, and then he'll be pretty good. So given what we saw against Nebraska, given what we've seen against Rutgers, 
it kind of feels like this should be more of the same for Michigan. Maybe a little bit more emphasis on the passing game because the opposition doesn't really prevent present much of a rush threat and has some weaknesses tackling in space. So you might see Samash Morgan get a little bit more involved. But I mean, honestly, after looking at everything Minnesota's done this season, after looking at all the stats and stuff, I I'm surprised this is like a 17 point spread or 18, I guess now. But yeah, it, I think uh, that's I think that's pretty reasonable because you look at that Nebraska game. I were they better than Nebraska in that game? I don't really think so. I mean, no, it was not a good showing from them, and that was before Taylor, sure, but we don't know if Taylor's playing in this game. So, and you just look at this team and their body of work. Uh, not a great showing against Northwestern. They got thoroughly beaten by UNC, and it it just doesn't look like a very scary team to me. But I do kind of at least on the spread point, I do kind of think this is going to be another Rutgers game in terms of both these teams love to run the football. Like this could be one of those 24 to three games where it is over in two hours and 35 minutes because it's nonstop running. So that may keep the spread closer, but I just struggle to see a way that, that Minnesota is going to stay in this game. Uh, they just don't have the the horses to to hang with Michigan. Yeah, this is a late night game. Like by the time Michigan gets up twenty one nothing, Minnesota's got the rest of the season to care about. Like it, it's gonna go quick. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with that. I do think that Nebraska game went pretty quick though. <laughs> that was not a seventeen point spread. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, they had a turnover on their second drive in, you know, in their own territory. That kind of inflates things sometimes. So, good thing Kaliak Manas has avoided the turnover this year. <laughs> uh, I guess the one thing that you would say is they do have eight interceptions, and while three of those were from Jeff Sims, and that has to be graded on a curve, they did pick off Drake May twice. Uh, Henderson had one of them excellent play where he ran under a, an out route in a way that I didn't think he was going to get there until he picked it off. So they, that would be key. Like don't have a bowling green part two. And I think Michigan is good. Uh, One final note, Minnesota is very boringly average at special teams. So, well, they got a kicker named dragon who has got to be our dragon Ketsich, which has got to be our name of the week. And then they have a, you know, your stereotypical um, Aussie punter, Mark Crawford, uh, who's yeah. And yeah, not getting returns. Yeah, they're 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 they've done nothing. They're, they're actually ranked 122nd right? to Pro Football Focus okay. on special teams right now. I don't know if it's too really early in the season for that, but yeah. See, I look I look I look at FEI for that stuff because it's really just like, did you punt from this spot and then where did you get it? We're going to rank you based on that. So yeah, they're dead average in FEI. Yeah, we used anyway, to have that slap stat. I got to bring that back. The, the starting location gonna... after punt. We're going to take a break, come back, and discuss the Nebraska game for one last time. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and President at Peak Wealth Management. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning? Or do you need to play catch-up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry-up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota, or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 
2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. Passion for e-commerce. Sell stuff online. Security. Performance. Conversion. Beautiful user experiences. Bella experience utilizador. Monthly marketing. PPC SEO. Make your user a customer. Conversion. Audio perfume for online retailers. Love your website. Let Human Elements show you how. Available at human-element.com and find department stores, not find department stores. Hey, so I have like insurance and stuff, but I don't really like know what's going on with it. Yeah, you- it, your your coverage probably sucks, and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because I had a guy. Uh, he's a uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled for Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance and he was like, "Yeah, your coverage sucks, and you're paying a lot more than you need to for it." I also like I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games. Well, and I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually like reads them go blog? Well, how would I do that? <laughs> they have a website. They have one of those too. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together and you will save money on your insurance and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto and they do life too. All right. So you're telling me if I Google Phil Klein insurance, this, this website will come up. Yes. Wonders never cease. Winewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at winewoodorganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25%, as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. Got a little hungry, so we went to the county, was in line for like ages. Then I got to the front, but to tell her what I want, said I might as well save it. Cause we probably can't make it. We ain't got no eggs, pancakes, no hash, brown sausage, or no bacon. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.5. I know I told you we were going to talk about the UFR, but instead, it's Greg Dooley, because it's Jug Week. There's nothing that Greg Dooley loves better than talking about the little brown jug. How you doing, Greg? Doing great, man. Uh, my life's changed since we last, uh, I was on radio, you know, I'm teaching now at U of M. It's quite, it's quite a wild thing to be kind of paid a little bit, but to talk, <laughs> to talk about this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and, and actually to, you know, to, to actually have half a lecture about the jug and then I'm writing a test on it, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's kind of wild. These poor students that didn't know what hit them like, I show a forensic, you know, the, the master potter from the Henry Ford Museum who who inspected the jug for me back, you know, years ago. And they're like, oh, my God, what did we get into here? So, yeah. yeah. Fun. <laughs> so, I mean, we've we've heard a lot of the stories about the time the jug was stolen and then possibly replaced and <laughs> the, its origins. Uh, <laughs> like, I wonder, dealer's choice. What do you want to get into? Sure. Well, first off, um, you may have heard like Harbaugh and his coaches show revealed. I didn't know if it was like top secret or not, but I actually got invited into fall camp. This is public now. 
And what they do, what the team did in fall camp is is they have like an opponent day, opponent preview, where the coaches, they do a mini scouting report on the opponent and they do some other off-topic cultural thing. And obviously for Minnesota, they, they had me come in and I, and I, so I actually gave all of the uh, football players, uh, I think it was around 20. I lost count. Although Harbaugh said almost 45 minutes. Um, (laughs) I gave a pretty thorough like breakdown of the jug history, including the funny stories, which I can mention a few, but it was really cool. In fact, they, they had the jug out um, in the team room and all the coaches were like insisting Ben Herbert, like everyone was there. It was really cool. And, and, Harbaugh himself like asked a few questions like it was it was wild so that that was that's something I've never done before and that was something we did back in August during camp it was really cool so we're not going to have a repeat of 2015 where the players go over and start jumping around with the jug before someone comes in he's like no 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 hey guys all right well so here's the thing so Michigan has uh like a trophy case version which isn't the real thing and I and I don't think that's uncommon with like some trophies, mm-hmm. but we've never really used it at a game. And I actually told a few people there, I go, why don't you just put the, nobody knows, of course, okay, nobody except for a few people know right. the difference. Why don't you just put the, this old looking other jug out there? Cause someone's going to drop it one of these days. So we'll see if you see one with like ribbons on it and things like that, it's not the real jug, <laughs> but I think that's okay. Cause someone's going to drop it. Wasn't yeah. it Chase Winovich who, yes. <laughs> who almost destroyed the little brown jug at one year? So here's the full story. So I guest lectured in the class I teach now, which is the history of college athletics. Of course, what was my guest lecture? We were playing Minnesota. So I think it was Bruce Made. He had me come in. Chase is in the class. And I do a different version of the jug history, right? And I end it with, um, which I did also with the, 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 two, the current team, make sure you hold it with two hands. Do not. <laughs> and I show pictures of guys like Woodson, like, hang, you know, Woodson, you know, he's not going to drop it, but Taylor Milan, I'm a little more worried. Right. So right. he, he does this after the game and the photos are hilarious. Ha ha. He runs up to the student section and he does, he thrusts it up in the air with one hand. And, and I, he's in my lecture like, like that week before. So I tweet at him, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> He tweets back at me, thanks, Dooley, you gave me the idea. He trolls <laughs> me on Twitter. And then he goes, he adds one. He goes, this is my favorite one. And it's a, you know, it's one of the photos. This is all true. This is absolutely true. So I actually, I actually, when I met with the team this time, you know, I kind of like, do I do the two hands thing again? Because it really backfired <laughs> last time. But it was fun. I, I don't know if there's anyone on this current team. It was quite Chase Winovich in terms of personality. <laughs> I, so I think I think you would have been okay. Okay. Now, um, if if Mason, I don't know if it's been announced if Mason Graham is for sure going to be there, but um, I if he might, he's got he's probably going to have a club on his hand, and so young young Mason, I would like him not to uh, try to carry <laughs> this thing with the club, although he probably would be fine. Um, but th- there's a ton of stories. I mean, one of the things that Harbaugh really liked was I kind of do that forensic analysis. Is this the real jug from 1903 that we play today? And there's a ton of evidence to suggest it at least dates to the twenties, um, photo evidence and other things. Right. The, my favorite story is, is probably when it got stolen and it, it disappeared 
from we just had it in a trophy case in in the 1930s 1931 and i assume pranksters or somebody just went in there and took it you know it was the depression there wasn't a lot going on no one was going to football games as seth knows Mm -hmm. and so someone stole it and then a right before the week before the game a another jug shows up or a jug shows up at a gas station outside town which is now and by the way i showed this old building and harbaugh goes that's the bear claw coffee in the team meeting like he knew but it's the bear claw coffee today at that split of um what is washington stadium today right yeah so anyway it it showed up there this guy these guys in a cadillac wearing goggles dropped off this jug and there's photos of the gas station guy holding it well and and they bring of course they bring it to yost because who else would know what the what the jug looks like right um and yost goes yeah that's it and of course they play for that jug for two years and then in 1933 another jug shows up on campus and everyone universally agrees that the 1933 jug is actually forget what we said about this jug that the guys in the car dropped off so that is just a weird story that's part of the, the, you have to kind of sort through that to get to whether the current jug is the real jug. But I think I did um, for a few reasons can date it back before that. So that's some nerdy stuff. But it's it's cool. We played twice in 1926, including Yost's last game. So there's actually a spot in the jug. I don't know about, Seth, on your mm-hmm. Halloween costume, if you've accounted oh, for it's, this. It's, it's on my Halloween costume. You can see Good. there's you, you see how there's one row where there's two of them right there. That's twenty six. All right, so send right a few photos. I need to have a look <laughs> and certify this thing. Um, that that would be a big seller, I think, uh, too. But we played twice in nineteen twenty six. Why? Um, Minnesota ran a version of Newt Rockney's offense, which was a shift where guys were kind of moving before the line before the snap. It was gen- it was slowly outlawed, but. Um, their coach, Coach Spears, was a protege at Rockney. So, and no one would in the Big Ten would schedule Minnesota. Yost worked it out with Spears that you're not going to run the shift. If you play us, we'll play you. Oh, we need to play another team. We'll play you twice. So, we actually played him twice, won both times, including what would be Yost's last game in 1926. That's kind of cool. What else, man? I've got, yeah. I've got more. <laughs> I've got a lot more. Believe it or not, this is this is what I do. By the I way. Know. You guys, Brian, we've been at this. You've been at this a long time. We, yeah. I mean, it's coming up on 20 years. I, I had a question. Like, when did Craig Ross join your crew? Because I'm, like, doing the math in my head, and I'm like, wait a minute. Am I now older than Craig Ross when he started, like, engaging? With, he was with about 3,000. No, he was about 2,984, so, I think. Okay, because yeah. I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like we did – I think we did our first magazine in, during the Rodriguez era. It, the, so, the, no, the first magazine was 07. It was before Rich Rod. All right. Yeah. See, I'm worried. Like yeah. Sam Webb's going to call me the venerable Greg Dooley soon. Um, I feel like oh. I'm kind of entering that Craig Ross stage with the white. I mean, I'm getting there. Well, I mean, with you're respect. not. You got to like start talking about crazy communist stuff before he starts calling you the venerable one. I think. Okay. The, the oh. unified string theory of, uh, yeah. of me. Okay. I got you. I got you. I'm getting there. I've got more than just the jug though. So we got a podcast now, professor in the pundit. We share a sponsor, Nick Hopwood, who's awesome for just sponsoring folks like us. Love Nick. Um, I'm doing that with Steve Clark, of course, the local 
longtime Ann Arbor radio host. Um, we started that this year. It's been a ton of fun. And as you guys know, I don't I don't break down. I don't do UFRs. I don't do things like that. It's more stuff off the field. Um, more because I'm teaching an NIL class now at Michigan. It's more stuff like that, more off the field, trends, culture, that kind of thing. So it's been cool. Been yeah, a ton man. Of fun. yeah. I, you in, you invited yeah. me to talk to the NIL class, and then I looked at the roster of all the people you have in there, and it's just like super famous person, super awesome person, incredible. Like this is the person leading the industry, Seth Fisher, another lead industry leader. Like, oh, you mean as far as my <laughs> the guess. person in charge yeah. of NIL for Michigan? It's like yeah, what we have a pretty sorely, good list. Sorely sticks out in that in that list. It's been pretty good. It's been a pretty cool class, and it, and I created it in the spring in the School of Ed, and we just launched it without any fanfare. And what happened was a few students signed up for it before the semester, and then word got out, and it's full. Uh, so we we more than doubled in size. So the classroom's full. It's been cool. Um, it's kind of different. It's obviously different from the history of college athletics in that, like, I literally had to wrap course content around the new NCA announcements from from this week into the class and it's been but it's been fun it's been fun it's a lot of work the students are great any anything from the NIL world that uh that's that's changed since uh since the summer I mean, you wrote the article about you know you wrote two articles for us in Halo Victors this summer about NIL um yeah I mean if you if you asked me like when I wrote that article kind of what it seems like the temperature around collectives has kind of changed where you you hear like collectives are starting to avoid that word, I think. And I think they want to be more um, closer to agents and closer to programs rather than collectives. Even Hale, I think, you know, doesn't like to call itself Hill Impact, a collective. Mm -hmm. They got their IRS approval. So that was a big deal. Their 501c3 approval, which is a big deal. We'll see what the impact is on that. Um, and then the NCA this week came out with what they're proposing as new some some standardization i don't know if anything they're doing has any teeth but around contracts around transparency of agents and other things like that we'll see where that goes um i do see everyone i bring in says revenue sharing is inevitable okay and when when if that happens oh by the way i may have booked our athletic director to come into a history college athletics class um tell me it's not the week after i speak <laughs> you're you're between Ward and Hutch. Does that, does that work for you? Um, so uh, we'll we'll see where that goes. But but I think if revenue sharing kicks in, I do think the face of what NIL is becomes more of actual marketing um, deals, actual marketing deals, as opposed to whatever you want to call it now. Um, I think. But that if anything has changed, and I do see uh, Michigan has. Has not has I've seen on social media that Michigan's doing more proactive programs with businesses and athletes and kind of seemingly having more of a strategic role. Michigan, I mean, the athletic department in in pushing this forward. Of course, there was a Rosenberg article that had just glowing, you know, um, in, in Sports Illustrated, this this glowing article of how Michigan's doing it right. And I think when you act, ask the people on the ground, a lot of them kind of, yeah, we got some we have some room to to go here but the, it seems to be trending in the right direction so we'll see man yeah it's been it's been quite a ride well revenue sharing will be interesting because now you have these sort of disparate nil groups and it's like who's getting what nobody really knows and when revenue sharing comes in i think that's going to dwarf most of the nil stuff so you might see a little bit of a 
recruiting flattening out a little bit because you know it's not going to be okay i can get x amount of dollars from alabama or zero dollars from somewhere else it's going to be i can get x plus 10 percent from alabama or x from somewhere else yeah so you might so you might see guys who would normally be like all right i'll go to alabama see what happens go somewhere else where they have more playing time available more immediately so i think that'll be interesting to track i mean it's not like those teams are going to be devoid of talent but they might not be as stacked as they have been over the past 10 or 15 years i agree with your take on that i think there'll be a base rate for the big schools um i think schools like rutgers who have a lot of debt and and an alarming amount of debt are going to be sweating this uh but i think the the conference will probably have to get together and go these are the guidelines for how this is going to work. And some of them are going to squeal. Michigan State's going to squeal. I mean, they just canceled their swim dive program. Um, they might have to pay Mel Tucker $70 million as well. I think they are going to have to pay Mel Tucker a lot <laughs> they, of money. They canceled yeah. their swim and dive program, and then they didn't bring it back after mm-hmm. a campaign easily uh, got over the amount of money Michigan State it would said it would take to bring back the swim and dive team. So, yeah. Honestly, that feels Mel Tucker related. It could yeah. be. Um, we, I, I think. Look, everyone. Jim's coming out. Jim Harbaugh's coming out for revenue sharing. Jordan Acker in the New York Times. You know, is Ward going to say something? Because those three groups could actually do something and make a change. Will it happen? Um, I, I do. Look, I, I share a lot of your thoughts. I've heard you on Thursdays and TKA here on the conference realignment something has to be done for the other sports. Um, somebody has to step up. And I, and if they don't soon before next year, I, I can't see in a scenario where some teams don't go, we're not trying, we're not doing it. Or they're, they've already clinched their spot in the postseason, And they're like, we're not going to Piscataway. We forfeit. Uh, why? Uh, I don't know. We have, we, um, we have some players who aren't up for it mentally, physically. We have some sick, you know, we can't do it. And I, I, I can't I can only see that happening, but Michigan should be the one that leads the way. And I think I hinted at this in my Hail to the Victors article, but I'd like to see Michigan lead the way here. Santa Ono, the Regents, Jim Harbaugh, Ward Manuel. I mean, this is what the you know, when we talk about what's going on with realignment, what it's all about, this is what it's about. They know that revenue sharing is coming. And you're gonna be revenue sharing your contract that with you know, your your T V contract is where the money is. Who's getting the bigger TV contracts? The conferences. So if you're in a conference that gets a big TV contract, your players get more. If you're not, your players get less. That's what the game is about right now. Well, and then the interesting thing is, is I believe Oregon and Washington are not getting full shares. <laughs> so Correct. Yeah. Correct. Their They're revenue not. sharing is going to be different than like Northwestern's revenue sharing because mm-hmm. their level of revenue is going to be lower. So... Figuring all this stuff out long term is going to be real difficult because now that we've sort of broken the seal on, OK, we're all in the Big Ten Conference, but we're not all getting the same distribution. Is that going to be tenable long term? It'll be interesting to see. I mean, we've been moving through a period of upheaval in college sports, and it's pretty clear that it's not done yet. It's not done. And the other thing, you know, as you guys know, Michigan has 29 varsity sports. It's not the same across all these other teams. And so how you do your revenue sharing, how much you have eligible revenue sharing, what does the rowing team get of revenue sharing? Um, I think there's going to be some discretion for the schools 
but they'll probably put caps on the revenue sports about how much you can distribute per athlete. And I wouldn't be surprised if that gives the Washingtons and the Oregons an avenue to fully fund their football players and kind of kind of ease in. I do think also if they do revenue sharing, they will ease in those maxes over time to allow Rutgers to figure out how they're getting out of this hole or whatever situation. So I'll figure thoughts, out how to get rid of Rutgers. I think, well, <laughs> and then there's that, you know, we, we did talk about, um, you know, the whole notion of the English premier, as I was corrected by my British graduate assistant. Unless you um, call it Mexico, you can call it the premier league. There you go. <laughs> right. You're an American. There you, thank you. Um, you know, that whole notion and what, what are the pros and cons, it, you know, for, for leagues out West to do that, especially the pack two and mountain West and interesting stuff, but it's not. So to my point, th- these are all things I talk about in my NIL class. Well, why it's not, that's not directly in NIL. Well, everything we're talking about here, including the transfer portal, including revenue sharing, conference, this all has an impact on player equity, player compensation, um, and other, you know, other issues around in, in uh, NLRB suits, all of this has an issue. And it, and to me, that's really what the class is about. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been a ton of fun. All right. Well, if you're a Michigan student, look out for that next semester. And uh, it's been great having you, Dooley. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. We got to get together soon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right see you. Bye. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. We've been servicing Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit for over 40 years. And we know that the last thing you want to worry about is your heating and cooling system breaking down. Right now is a good time to sign up for our preventative maintenance plan. So you don't have to worry about it in November when the fourth quarters get interesting. Our maintenance members also get discounts and service calls. And you can rest assured our team plays tough in sun or snow and have never been called soft by Lou Holtz. Whether you need a tune-up, are ready for a new system, or want to upgrade your air quality before winter, call us anytime or schedule an appointment on our website at SharonsHeating.com. Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you, and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call a criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. 
The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Welcome back to Evgo Radio 9.5. Thank you to Kyle Mack for the music for this episode. Uh, our final segment, we will turn our attention to the UFRs. One last look back at the Nebraska game. Takes we had coming out of uh, a dominant performance. Um, I don't think I'm telling anybody anything. And they don't know when I say that J.J. McCarthy's performance was pretty good. <clears throat> I had him as a plus 13 on 16 throws, which is solid. I have, I have now forgotten the Bowling Green game entirely. Good. That's good, <laughs> especially because one of the conversations we had after the Bowling Green game is whether J.J. McCarthy should throw while rolling, rolling away from his throwing arm, and I think the answer is yes. Well, I, I don't know if you recall anything from that, but I was on your side. I was the only okay. one on your side on that one. Sam was against was, us. Sam <laughs> David was, was yeah, against was like, us. No. <laughs> Devin Gardner was also on our side. So. Okay. Hmm. But uh, I think everybody is going to be curious about the performance of Ladarius Henderson, his first start at left tackle. I had him at plus 5.5, plus 7.5, minus 2. Those minuses were both on the the last drive where any of the starters were in. So, you know, I thought that was a a very solid performance on the ground against a team that was very tricky. So the thing that really leapt out to me about the Nebraska defense is how much they stunted. It was pretty much every play. Mm -hmm. And to pick all those things up. I mean, he's got a lot of experience as a college lineman, but he's in a new system. He's at a new school. I thought he had a a pretty excellent performance mentally pass protection. There were two major incidents. One was the pass pro breakdown that led to the Wilson touchdown. I kind of hemmed and hawed about it. I did think that it's possible that he's playing more to the outside because he expects Keegan to be able to help, but Keegan can't help because Hutmacher is also coming to him and he gets beat real quick. So I did make that a minus two. The other one where, where JJ gets lit up, I charge that to Blake Corum mm-hmm. because Blake Corum runs into him as he's trying to mirror a stunt. And I feel like if he gets that extra step, he, he wins that block. So <clears throat> I think in my opinion that the tackle battle should be over. Yeah. And this should be the line going forward because one thing that Henderson has done in his last three or four games is he's demonstrated that he does not make big errors. Now, if he makes an error, sometimes the 
the line will get reset on him and he'll he'll get shoved back a yard. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't completely fall over and have a minus two. <clears throat> that was and I think in the context of this offense, that's what you want, right? Mm-hmm. You just want Michigan to be able to grind down the field consistently and then hit over the top. Um, one other thing, which is kind of a negative, what's definitely a negative, is that there were a couple moments where Blake Corum broke into the open field and it felt like 22 Blake Corum dusts the safety, makes it 30 yards. That didn't happen in this game. So I went back and I looked at the pro football focus numbers. His missed tackle rate last year was about 29%. On 29% of his carries, he was forcing a missed tackle, and that is 12% this year. So I had been talking about how Blake feels like he's all the way back. It now doesn't feel like he's all the way back to me. It feels like he hasn't quite got back to the point where if he meets the safety in the open field, that's only ending one way. And yeah, I mean there was one worth, there was one in this in this game where I think that the safety met him and then he had the the pursuit was coming from behind him on his right and he cuts right and the pursuit kind of gets to him and it was like a, yeah I mean that was that was the play I embedded about that but it felt like last year he would have danced that safety into the ground hopped left and and mm-hmm. taken off and so that's something to watch uh, and I think it might be something that improves over the course of the year because the kind of injury he had doesn't feel like the kind of injury that's going to permanently sap you, right? It wasn't a ligament. It was a patella kneecap mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it feels like he's just kind of working his way into it and will be fine uh, down the road. Um, the other thing that I, I liked is that Michigan ran JJ McCarthy on the second play of the game, and they benefited from that on three or four plays um, down the road. And last year, I was I harped on this constantly about how Michigan did not. We've run been talking JJ about it. Every, we've been talking about it for years. Ever since Harbaugh came, we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And it feels like a lot of the frustrations I had with last year's offense have been fixed. So their red zone is more creative right now. They don't need to throw the ball. They can run the ball into the into the end zone. But instead of running a dive five straight times against Rutgers and having it stuffed until fourth down until you barely get in, they're combining dives and belly plays and there was a power on the goal line that was a walk-in i'm sure they'll have down g you might even see a stretch down at the goal line um they've changed what they do sufficiently so that they're really really efficient down there despite the fact that i think this offensive line probably isn't as good as last year's offensive line Mm-hmm. Because I think Nugent is an Olu. He's fine, but he's not Olu. Yeah, that was the question I had for you, and I think it's because he maybe, in the process of reading your UFR, he had like a negative two and then a negative one two plays later, and it was like it felt like those were stacking up. Well, yeah, he came in with a negative two for the game, and there were three minus two events, one of which was a stunt that he didn't pick up mm-hmm. on a power play, which might have been harsh. It was. It happened so quickly that... I, I mean, I RPS that play, and maybe I should have just left it as RPS because, you know, Michigan pulls a guy, and then Henderson, the guy's, the defensive end is lined up inside the Henderson and just shoots the gap immediately. Henderson has no chance. And then who's going to pick up that slack? Well, it's got to be Nugent. Nugent wasn't quick enough to do it, but, you know, that's very difficult. And then he was the guy who had to go up against Huttmacher on one on one blocks. And I think that guy's the real deal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he got, pushed in the backfield and, and Huttmacher was able to shed and tackle for no gain. And that's always going to be a minus too. So I kind of feel like 
he has some limitations, and I think a guy like Huttmacher exposed them. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most powerful guy, but he is a plus player. And I don't want to read too much into some grading that didn't turn out well because he had a couple of bad events. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's a solid player, and sometimes my grading just kind of turns out like this. There's a guy on 24-7 who also grades OL stuff, and his grade for Nugent in this grade was super high, and his grade for uh, Henderson in this game was super low. And I'm just like, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Grading OL is hard. I, I know. You know what? It's It's been weird for me, just to get a little meta for a second, because I got to do the offense for a year, and then you came back and did Now I'm reading your UFRs, having graded these same players. Like, I graded Zinter for a year, and now like I'm watching you grade the same things that Zinter does. And it's kind of... You get on a streak sometimes when you're when you're doing this, right? Where you're like, "Oh, that guy screwed up," and then you're kind of like, I don't know, watching him for the same mess up or something. You mm-hmm. you, you have to you kind of keep on checking your bias all the time because the you always have to kind of re you have to question yourself. And I think I changed my mind on those things. And with offensive line especially, I think I change my mind two or three times every time I grade a play in the process of grading the play. Yeah, I mean that that's true, and and sometimes. Even after I've completed the UFR and I've, I've pasted it into the live writer and I'm inserting mm-hmm. a clip and I watch the clip, sometimes I change my opinion of the play watching the clip again. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I can understand why people come up with different numbers and I, I'm not trying to, um, mm-hmm. to uh, ding this guy on 24-7 who I think does a great job. I just, I just want to emphasize that over a long period of time, I think you can figure out things about players. But you know, if you just look at a one-game sample, especially on the offensive line, you're gonna sometimes get some outliers. And I feel like Nuja's game was an outlier. Okay. But when you have Zinter, who's just grading out incredibly every game, no matter what, then you kind of know. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing in this game was there was a play where Nebraska was stunting, and Hutmacher goes right into Zinter. Zinter stalls him out and then moves him mm-hmm. that's something Nugent couldn't do I don't know if Keegan could do it yeah it was it was it was extremely impressive and if Nugent hadn't completely obliterated Huttmacher on the the flea flicker yeah. <laughs> that would have been our block of the week but um yeah I mean just in terms of overall how I feel about this offense I'm I'm really happy with all of the changes from last year and one of the more interesting things that we saw in this game were a couple of plays where JJ didn't keep the ball, but there were tight ends flaring out to give him a convoy if he kept the ball. And I kind of feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface of what Michigan has prepared there. And we're going to see a little bit more of it this week, a little bit more of it next week. We're going to have four or five different plays from all these formations on film. And then when we get to know crunch time in this season michigan is going to be able to run those plays and also plays that play off those plays in a way that hopefully shows manny diaz his intestines again well if you're because if you're yeah. <laughs> go ahead no i was gonna say if you're drafting you know pieces to give to a hardball offense the amount of tight ends he has and i know this goes into a different direction that you wanted to go with Manny diaz but like you know the number of tight ends that he has who can make a block or you know completely unhinged the defense by what they can do. And I'm including Max Bredesen in this as well, obviously, is, you know, with Harbaugh, that's just a superpower. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, what did you see on the defense? Well, 
not a lot of guys got a lot of snaps. I think like on the defensive line, the the most snaps was Jalen Harrow with 27 in the game. Um, and Chris Jenkins only had 26. So the numbers, nobody except for Braden McGregor ended up over, um, over plus 10. But when I added them all together, the defensive line again was a plus 50. And like when I get those kinds of numbers, where you, you can see the distribution of where the activity is happening. And the distribution was heavily slanted towards the defensive line. The activity is still happening up front. So what was the, okay, you got plus 50. What was the minus total? The, the minus reason? total was 17. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> and nine of those were Derek Moore and Josiah Stewart, mostly on the slants, mostly in coverage. Okay, yeah, that's, we should clarify that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really plus 50, uh, minus eight on the ground. Yeah, it, which plus, is nuts. Right, it's like, it. it's, um... They're just destroying him on the ground, and it's and even without Mason Graham, who was probably grading out better than even Jenkins, this game, like you pointed out, Jenkins wasn't getting blocked. They were mostly just running away from him. There were a couple times where I noticed they were optioning him, uh, and, and it still didn't work. It still doesn't. Yeah, they can't. They this they can't get him to stay put, um, and that just that blows up everything else they want to do. Because if Michigan runs a stunt, they're trying to get two guys on Chris Jenkins, which means they're not paying attention to the guy like Kenneth Grant. They actually tried a um, a trap in this game. A trap is where you like a pull a, pull a guard and, tr- and let a tackle run upfield, and then you kind of like slam into the guard, and then you run a gap, right? And they tried to do that, and Michigan was just moving guys around. All of a sudden, Kenneth Grant is just standing in the – or sorry, it was Rishon Benny. It's just standing in, the, in there because, like, you have to pay so much attention when a guy goes upfield. They, they can't uh, – there's, there's just no way to keep control of the guy. Um, and he does fight back, and he actually you know affects that play. And then some of the pluses there are just beating up on um, Corcoran, who was like the turnstile of a tackle they had. And then yeah. Corcoran gets hurt in this game, so now it's like this true freshman who was behind Corcoran, and that was the guy who um, Stewart gets one on him, Harold got one on him, although he got held and they didn't call it, and Moore got him for one as well. So everybody on, on, and McGregor got one on Corcoran. So everybody got at least like one sack or one sack like event um, on that guy. Derek Moore was also doing it to Bryce Benhart on the other side. Bryce Benhart is the average Big Ten tackle, a pretty big guy, and Moore just gets his uh, shoulder so low that it's like that. that's going to work against everybody. And like, that was the guy who stood out. You know, McGregor had a fantastic game. I don't want to take anything away from him, but – you know, Moore's game was the one, aside from his zone drops, which, you know, how important is a defensive end's zone drops? He's the one who is, like, really sticking out to me. Yeah. Secondary concerns? Have them. I have them. Uh, Samer still got a little hurt in this game, so they were, you know, trying out different guys at nickel. Rod Moore was fine. I, I think that there's been, like, just because he's not on screen so much, there's, like, developing a slow, like, uh-oh, where's Rod Moore this year thing. Anytime he got a chance to do something, he did it. Uh, he didn't have any plus twos that I clipped, but he was, like, just doing his, you know, he was doing pepper stuff from the, the nickel position, which is, you know, that's what you want of him. When he was playing safety, they didn't throw at him. Um, uh, Macari Page was just kind of boring. 
Quinton Johnson was kind of responsible after the you know after the true freshman gets blown out on their touchdown. Johnson has is in position and doesn't make the tackle, which is a little nerve wracking if we have to go back to him at safety. And Keon Sab I thought was the one who was responsible on the other really long pass play they had, which Johnson is supposed to be next to the guy. So you have there's only two guys in that route, and. You know, one of them gets completely taken out by McCurry Page. There's only one guy to be worried about. And Josh Wallace has the opportunity to kind of see that no one's attacking his side of the field and get over there because he does still have help help underneath him. And he doesn't do anything. He doesn't get over to that play. Will Johnson is supposed to stick with that guy. He's got about 10 yards of cushion when that ball is in the air. And then Keon Saab is like playing it really soft and giving up an extra five yards. And he's five yards away from the guy when he makes the catch. And it's like, you know, one of you guys has to be there on the... The idea of bracketing a guy is that two people are near a guy, not nobody. Um, Yeah. So, you know, there's a little bit of concern that wasn't the only time Will Johnson got beat crispy. Um, There was another Mm -hmm. slant where uh, actually, you know, it gets knocked down by Quinton Johnson, who's coming down on a blitz and stops and makes a good play on it. But, you know, it's kind of something I'm keeping an eye on now. I I took his star off. I don't think anybody noticed, but... Well, maybe it's time to get that scion fired up. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you. Uh, I guess we go see us on Monday. Yeah, Monday. Surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a Volta, bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska.